Um, I just wanted to go ahead and name that. So we can just live in that together. This should be really interesting. Uh, but welcome to RUF. My name is Thomas. I'm the campus minister here. Uh, and at RUF, we believe that you are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And so if you're listening along to that, what that means is that we believe that God's grace is of central importance. So whether you're here tonight and you are crushing it, or you feel like you're getting crushed, what you need is God's grace. And that's what REF is all about. So we're happy to be here with you guys. Uh, And this semester, we've been looking at a series called Songs That Shape Us. Great graphic up there. Uh, And kind of our theme has been that the Psalms meet us where we are. They meet us in these uh, realities of our everyday life. And then they take us where we need to go. They teach us how to deal with God. And tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 23, um, which might be familiar for some of us. uh, And the title is A Song About God's Care for Us. Um, So I just moved to Lincoln, I guess like two months ago. Uh, And the number one thing that I was told the entire process as I was interviewing for this job and then eventually got it uh, was, you might be able to guess, that Memorial Stadium is the third biggest city in Nebraska on game day. Um, I was also told that uh, Nebraska has more consecutive sellouts than any other school, 375 to be exact, uh, since 1962. Um, But you guys have been Nebraska fans a lot longer than I have, so you know that not every season since 1962 has been particularly good. If I'm not stepping on any... uh, Don't say that. We're just going to... Yeah, we don't have to talk about it. Scott Frost is... Yeah, it's fine. Um, But not every season has been good. But regardless, fans were there every single Saturday packing Memorial out. And they're singing these songs. They're singing songs that say there is no place like Nebraska, regardless of if we're losing by 40 points. Uh, My my alma mater actually had a a song like this. Um, I think that's hitting a little close to home, so I'll talk about mine. I went to North Carolina State University, and uh, I vividly remember a couple times we would sing our fight song, and we're down by like 40 points. But we've just scored a touchdown, so naturally you sing your, your fight song. And our fight song says, uh, we're the red and white from state, and we know we are the best. With one hand behind our back, we can take on all the rest. Come o'er the hill from Caroline, devils and deeks stand in line. We're the red and white from NC State. Go State. And we're down by 40 at this point, right? We're down by 40. What gives someone the audacity to sing that in that situation? Why would we ever think to sing something like that even when we're losing? And I think it's because as fans, we know that there's something about who we are that transcends our situation, right? There's some truth about being a Husker fan that, that goes beyond how we're doing in the game. There's some reality beyond that. And these fight songs, they remind us of that. And the passage that we're looking at tonight, Psalm 23, is a fight song. It's a fight song for the Christian life. It's a fight song that reminds us of what is true, even when our circumstances can be frustrating. And it doesn't actually change our circumstances, right? We we might still be getting beat by a lot, but we're reminded of what's true. And it shows us who we are in the midst of our struggles. So why do we need a fight song, right? We we might understand why we need that at Memorial Stadium on Saturdays, but but why do we need that in the Christian life? I think it's because we're tempted to believe that God doesn't care. We're tempted to believe he doesn't care. Some of us might be thinking, you know, if God cares so much, 
why am I anxious all the time? Like, why is every waking moment anxiety for me? Or if God cares so much, why am I depressed? If God cares so much, why did my dad leave? If God cares so much, why didn't I get that internship? There are lots of reasons for us to think that God doesn't care. So as we look at this passage today, we're going to be looking at uh, God's care for us. This is a song that reminds us that he cares. And it does that primarily by giving us two images to describe God's care for us. So the first one is this, he's our shepherd. And then the second one, he invites us to dinner. So God is our shepherd, and God invites us to dinner. So I'm going to read the passage for us. Uh, I'll pray, and then we can get started. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our Father, as we turn to your word, I pray that you would open our eyes. Uh, Lord, that you would meet us here. Lord, that um, as we look at Psalm 23, that is uh, a passage that has been such a great comfort for people uh, for generations. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see it with new eyes. Um, So often, whenever we are familiar with a passage, uh, it's so easy to just, you know, glance over it and not think about it. So I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and give us attentive hearts. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first image we see here is of the Lord as our shepherd. And it starts off right there in verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so this, this identification, bless you, this identification of the Lord as shepherd is a uh, kind of a unique thing thus far in the Psalms, if you've ever read the Psalms. Um, a lot of times it talks about the Lord as a king, talks about the Lord as a deliverer, as a rock, as a shield. But thus far, it hasn't talked about the Lord as a shepherd. And not only that, this says the Lord is my shepherd. It's possessive. Like there's some sense in which the Lord is specially interested in me. And this is a shocking image. But a lot of us don't really think about a shepherd, right? That's not really, many of us don't come to UNL to study shepherding, husbandry. I don't really know what that would be. But that's not like a common thing that we do these days, right? That's not, that's not a familiar thing. Um, but so like a shepherd in the, in the ancient world would have been a pretty common occupation. It would have been something that people would have done. In fact, David, who wrote this psalm, was a shepherd at one time. And a shepherd essentially just keeps up with a flock of sheep, and he does everything for them. Later in this passage, we're going to read about um, the shepherd making the sheep lie down in green pastures, leading them beside still waters, restoring them, leading them in paths of righteousness, and being with them. This is all the experience of a sheep, but the shepherd works really hard to make all of this happen. Right? Like we said in our Thumb Wars thing, sheep are not exactly intelligent. They're not exactly uh, go-getters. They just kind of do whatever they want, and a shepherd has to wrangle them together. So what does it mean that the Lord is our shepherd? 
In verses 2 and 3, uh, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And that word soul there, actually, uh, it can be translated life. He restores my life. He turns my life around. We see uh, the, the initial thing that we see here, the Lord is our shepherd. We see all of this action that he does for us. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And the image we have here is that the Lord is more attuned to our needs than we are. That's pretty shocking because if you're anything like me, you spend most of your day thinking about your own needs. And it's tempting to think that we know what we need. But that's not actually the story that we get here. The Lord is the one who knows. He's more attuned to our needs than we are, and he makes us rest. Is that what a relationship with God feels like for you? Does God feel like uh, a place where you can rest? I know many of us, uh, when we think about our relationship with God, we tend to focus on our side of the relationship, right? We start thinking about how often we've read our Bibles, how often we've gone to church, how nice we've been. But that's not the emphasis here. The emphasis is on God's care for us. The confidence needs to be in our shepherd. It doesn't need to be in our ability to be good sheep. It's in our shepherd. So he makes us rest. We also see in verse 3 that he guides us. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. As we already said, sheep are pretty aimless creatures. I don't know if you guys have seen this video. Uh, I think it was on Vine a while ago, which I guess is not really a thing anymore. Now it's TikTok. I don't know. Maybe it's on TikTok. Who knows? Um, but it's of this, uh, this guy who has, he's basically like halfway in this hole in the ground, like desperately trying to pull something out. You're just like, what is going on there? And he, this goes on for a couple of seconds, and all of a sudden he just pulls out, and there's this sheep that just comes flying out. And it had gotten itself stuck in this hole. And the sheep just like goes on, like everything's fine. And the shepherds, they're like exhausted. Like that's the way that we relate to God, y'all. That's what it's like. Sheep are aimless creatures. We have no idea where we're going a lot of the times. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by life? Do you ever feel like you have no idea what's going on? Like there's, there's an enormous amount of options. It's like, how am I going to choose? Like what's the right way? The psalm shows us that God guides us, that he is a shepherd, that he guides us. But then we see in verse 4 um, that there are hard times in life. It says, even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And there's a subtle shift here in this, in this passage. Thus far, it's been referring to God in the third person. But here it switches into the second person. When it's talking about uh, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, walking through places that bring up fear in us, it expresses this, this nearness with God. It's not, I will fear no evil because he is with me. It's, I will fear no evil because you are with me. It's as if he's trying to communicate that God is near to us in our times of trouble. So God is with us. But why does the fact that God is with us make a difference, right? We're still in trouble. It's still hard. Things aren't going super well. Uh, I remember when I was in seminary, I worked at uh, Starbucks. Uh, actually, I worked there this time last year, which is kind of crazy. 
But I, uh, when I was first starting out, I just remember uh, it being completely overwhelming to work there because there's a billion different things that you have to learn. And I was at this store that had uh, it had a drive-through, and it was the only one in the city of St. Louis that had a drive-through. So that meant it was going to be very busy. But it was also in like an extremely walkable neighborhood. So I would go in for my shifts at three o'clock, and it was you know it was pretty dead at that point. But I knew four o'clock was coming. And four o'clock was when there was going to be like a wraparound line in the drive-through, and there were going to be people standing out the door, and people are there's going to be like weeping and gnashing of teeth, and people's like, "Where's my frappuccino?" And it's going to be my fault. I knew all of this was going to happen, so I was just filled with anxiety when I was heading into work. And the first thing I would do when I was going into work is I would check the schedule, because I knew that if I was working with Aaron, it was going to be okay. See, Aaron was kind of like the Starbucks Tom Brady. (laughs) like this guy had it down like he knew how to make like two and three frappuccinos at once he knew how to sequence everything to where it was going to work out but he also just had this calming presence where if you like get if you get behind he would just jump in and he would fix it for you so I knew if Aaron was going to be there then it was going to be okay you see but working with Aaron didn't remove me from the situation I still had to make like 40 different frappuccinos And I still had people glaring at me the entire time while I was doing it. But I knew because he was with me that it was going to be okay. In the same way, we see that the Lord's presence with us should enable us to be okay, even when things are a disaster. But that's hard for a lot of us because we spend a lot of time thinking about how can we get out of this difficult time that we're in, right? We just want to get through it. But what if God is more concerned about being with you in your trouble than he is about putting you over to the other side. I think that's what we see here in this passage. So the Lord is our shepherd. But not only is there a shepherd, he he also invites us to dinner. And this is kind of a weird shift in the metaphor. We've been talking about uh, the Lord being a shepherd and we're sheep. He takes care of us. It's this beautiful, intimate metaphor. But then in verse 5, it switches. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So here we see the Lord as, as a great host, and he's spreading a table before us. And so in the Bible, something like this, spreading a table before someone, dining with someone was very significant, especially in the Old Testament culture. To dine with someone meant to establish relationship with them. If you look through the Old Testament, anytime you see some sort of big agreement being made between two people, it's usually sealed with a meal. And so this is very significant to be dining with someone. We also see that it's a a lavish meal. It says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Anointing someone's head with oil would have been making them a, a special honored guest. So we see here that the Lord hosts us and he names us as his honored guests. But if you're paying attention, there's also something that's a little bit awkward. This is kind of an awkward dinner party, right? It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What? It's like if if your mom, like, calls you and is like, yeah, I made everything that you love. Like, we've got this dinner. I want you to come home. And also, I invited all of your ex-girlfriends. It's going to be great. Right? It's awkward. Like, like, why are the enemies here? This, This makes no sense. But if you think about it, right, that the enemies, the word here, it's translated, it means the ones being hostile to me. The ones who are hostile to me. 
And this is written by David, who would have had a whole lot of enemies. But it's written for worship. It's written for the people of God. It's written for us to take these words and make them our own. That's loud. (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and name that. So enemies, who or what is being hostile to you? Who or what is, is making you feel afraid? Maybe for you it might be a difficult person in your life who can never seem to be satisfied with what you're doing. A person who, uh, no matter what you do, it's not enough. You feel shamed. Maybe for some of us it's a, a paralyzing fear of the future. A lot of us are graduating soon. Like, What am I going to do? Spoiler alert, probably go to grad school. Um, Some of us, it might be a, sorry, was that snarky? I shouldn't have said that. I did that, so whatever. I'm here with you. For some of us, it might might not be that. It might be that we're haunted by things that we've done in the past. Maybe uh, your story haunts you. There's something that you've done that you just can't seem to forgive yourself for. Or maybe it's a a, a current shameful struggle that you have with a sin that you just can't seem to beat. And what we see here is that God wants to dine with you in the midst of that. He doesn't want to dine with you once you get to the other side. He wants to dine with you right now. He wants a relationship with you in the midst of the things that bring you fear. Uh, That's loud. Again, when I was was in seminary, I was a a TA, a teaching assistant for one of my favorite professors. Uh, And this was a big deal for me because this was a guy that I really looked up to. Um, He'd written a couple books that I just loved. And so I was thrilled when he asked me to be a TA for him. Um, Man, that is so loud, y'all. Huh? Use the mic. I'm going to use the mic. All right, I can do that. How do I do this in the middle of all this? Okay, I'll move my stand back there. Okay, all right. Should I start singing karaoke? That would be really awesome. Fight fire with fire, y'all. All right, cool. Okay, so back to uh, when I was in seminary, I was a TA for one of my favorite professors. It was a really huge honor. Uh, he was a guy that I looked up to big time. And uh, this uh, this semester, this one particular semester, I had a really hard time keeping up with my workload. Like I was getting absolutely crushed by school. I'm sure some of you can relate to that. Uh, and what that meant was that I was behind on grading constantly. And when I did do grading, it was like, you did a great job here, 100. Like it just wasn't wasn't a good job. I was having a really hard time keeping up with everything. And then... Uh, one particular week where I was feeling very overwhelmed, uh, we were supposed to have our TA meetings every week on Wednesdays at 10. And I knew this. This was like a thing that I went to every single week. It was built into my schedule. So I get out of my class at 9.45, and then I just completely forget about it. And I go into the library, and I start studying until 9.15, or until 10.15, and I realize I'm now 15 minutes late for this TA meeting. And as soon as I realize I was late, it, it just hits me, and I'm absolutely mortified. All the shame of me being such a horrible TA started hitting me. I knew that I hadn't done what I was supposed to do. And I knew that when I showed up there, I was going to be exposed. And I was so afraid. And so I instantly started sweating like crazy. I'm a sweaty, anxious mess. I walk across campus, go into this TA meeting, like intentionally trying not to make eye contact. And I just kind of sit down 
And then, you know, I'm just like, okay, hopefully I can just slip in the back and this won't be a problem. But as I sit down, I notice that it's silent. I'm like, What's, why is this meeting not going on? And then I look up, and then my professor, who I idolize, is, is just sitting there looking at me, smiling. And he says, he has a very soft voice, he says, Thomas, it's good to see you. And he's just smiling at me, not a hint of sarcasm in his voice whatsoever. And he was just silent for like what felt like it must have been an hour, but it was probably actually five seconds. But he's just saying, it's good to see you. And then I just it, responding, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm late. Like, I can't believe I was late. I know, like, this meeting, and I've been bad at grading and all this stuff. And he's like, it's fine. I'm just really glad you're a part of our team. And why was that so awkward for me? Like, what was going on inside of me that made that so awkward? See, I was a, like, sweaty, shame-filled mess. And my professor treated me like a person. He treated me with dignity. He treated me like a valued person. He was more concerned with how I was doing than what I could do for him. And that's what we see about the Lord here, that the Lord is more concerned with how we are doing than what we could do for him. He doesn't care about what we've done. He's just happy to see us. He's happy to dine with us in the midst of what's going on. God is the type of God who loves us so fiercely that he is concerned about our well-being in the midst of problems that, if we're honest with ourselves, are usually a result of our own sin. But God still loves us, and he still wants to dine with us in the midst of them. You see, the Lord looks on us with love when we can't even look ourselves in the face. When we don't even want to look in the mirror, the Lord looks at us, and he wants a relationship with us. So the last verse of this psalm, it, it ends with this glorious expression of confidence. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this is, I mean, this is a beautiful thing. Like, who among us doesn't want to know for certain that we have a glorious future, right? That where we're headed is better than where we are. And this is what fight songs do for us. This is what they, they inspire this sense of, like, where we're heading is better. We might be getting beat by 40 points right now, but we're going to be better, We sing, there is no place like Nebraska because we hope for a glorious future because Scott Frost is awesome and he's back home. But some of us might be thinking, well, like, we don't really know that things are going to change. Like, we're not certain. Like, how can we know? Is this the same with this fight song for the Christian life? Can we know that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives? Or is this just wishful thinking? Are we just singing this into the air, thinking that things are going to get better? Even as we read this psalm, we, feel, we still find ourselves doubting God's care. And I think that the Lord can handle this. And that he's the type of God who wants to meet us in this. In fact, we see this in John 10. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
See, Old Testament believers could sing this song because of confidence in what God would do. They knew that God was going to do something. They could say the Lord is my shepherd because they knew that God was going to do something. They could say that surely goodness and mercy would follow them all the days of their life because they knew that God was going to do something. And we can sing this song because God has done something. He has done something. We can know him as our shepherd. We can know that he intimately cares for us. We can know that he wants to sit down and have a meal with us in the midst of the things that give us anxious fear because of Jesus. We see this in John 10. It says it twice. It says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We can sing this song with confidence because Jesus laid down his life for us. We can know God as our shepherd and enjoy a meal with him only because of what Jesus has done. And when we look to Jesus by faith, we can know that he is with us in the darkness. That he has experienced death. He's experienced it for us. And we can know that he desires relationship with us in the midst of that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Psalm 23 and the ways that you speak to us and you desire us to have confidence in you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for our friends who are singing so loudly next door. Uh, And thank you for the joy that they have. And I pray that we would all have that joy as we think about you. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.